We're going to do part two of the sermon that I started last week from Lessons from Jesus Walking on the Water. Last week, we began to look at the story of Jesus walking on the water that's found in, in Mark chapter 6. Now, if you're visiting with us, um, we've been going just kind of section by section, story by story, through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we've taken a few little breaks in the middle, but primarily every week we're just kind of walking through this. And what we're learning as we're going through Mark is that, that I think I said it last week, we can just preach through the whole Gospel of Mark and then start back over at the beginning and go again. Because it just touches every co- conceivable area of our, of our walk with Jesus. And so last week we got to the story in, in Mark chapter 6 about Jesus walking on the water. And we started off by talking about how the underlying message of this story is this message of great encouragement that the story gives to us. That we learn that from the story that God um, in our lives sends us into some situations at times that are kind of stormy. Like he sent the 12 that day. The, the story was that he sent them out into a lake. He said, get in the boat and go. And they went in the boat and they went perfectly according to his will, and he has countered a storm. And so we found out that, that God sometimes sends us into some stormy situations in, in life. But what we learned from the story is that even though he does that, and we're out there and we're in the middle of a storm, that Jesus never loses sight of us. While we're in there, remember, he saw them out in the lake. And then he said when they were in trouble, he came to them. And so he never loses sight of us. But we talked about that last week and we said that although we, we can know up here that he never loses sight of us, that sometimes, oftentimes I would say when we're in those stormy situations, we can be so battered that we begin to question if, if really Jesus hasn't lost sight of us. We really kind of say at times to ourselves, you know, are you really there? And I don't know if you're honest enough to admit that, but I do that. And I think we all do that. And I think the, the disciples in the boat did that. They're like, what in the world's he doing? He sent me into the boat. He said, go to the other side. Matter of fact, earlier it says, two chapters earlier in Mark, he did the same thing. He sent them in a boat, says, go across, and he hit another storm. And they've got to be saying, you know, Lord, do you know what you're doing? Are you really there? We begin to question. During the storm, the hard times, you know, is Jesus there? And one thing I have found, and we talked about last week, is that when those times happen, and when we begin to, to doubt and to question, that we begin to lose an awareness of the presence of God. That not only do we question it in here, but we begin to kind of sense, feel that, you know, are you really near me? Those times when you pray and you say, God, I just can't seem to sense your awareness. I can't seem to sense that you're here. We tend to lose an awareness of his presence. And so last week we talked about that and we found that that when that happens, that we need to do what the disciples did that they invited Jesus into their boat. Remember, we saw a really odd phrase in that story. It said that Jesus saw them in trouble. He leaves the mountain where he's praying. He goes, walks on the water, and he says he tended to pass him by. He didn't go to help them. He went to say, I'm here. But they had to do something. They had to invite him into their boat, into their circumstance in the middle of the storms. And we found out that there were two primary ways, or maybe what I've said was just personally, the two best ways for me to invite Jesus into our boat. Remember what the first one was? I hear it. Praise. The first way we found from Isaiah 61.3 said, Make an exchange. Put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And we found out that what, he, what, what we can do in life is that we can, when we're in that time where we're kind of questioning God's presence, is he really here? And we're feeling that sense of, of depression, that sense of downness, that sense of heaviness that comes from the battles of life, that Isaiah says the way to, to, to reorientate ourselves is to make an exchange, to put on praise, a garment of praise, literally lift our hands and begin to praise, 
And that something really happens, a transaction takes place. That the garment of praise comes upon us and the spirit of heaviness leaves. We talked about how that's really spiritual warfare. And so that what we do is we're really driving back the forces of evil that want to push us down and, and depress us and cause us to be, to be um, kind of useless in the world because we're just introverted and, and squashed down because of the things of the world. And what I found this week, since preaching that one week ago today, is I have been overwhelmed. And, I know, and that's an understatement almost. Overwhelmed by the amount of people that were here last Sunday that either called me, texted me, emailed me, Facebooked me, or just got me alone and said, I can't believe how when I've just started my days off with praise, how my life is literally different. I had one person say, I stopped taking antidepressants because I sense so much the presence of God in my life. And that, that we, we see that the scriptures are right. That we can put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness when we feel like God's, that the storm's raging, but we have to figure out how to get him in our boat. So the first way to get him in our boat was through, a, through putting on a garment of praise. There was another way, though, we talked about how we invite Jesus into our boat in our stormy times. Anybody remember what that one was? A proper focus. That we looked in, in Philippians chapter 4, and then it says that, that we should dwell on, the Apostle Paul says, dwell on things that are excellent and praiseworthy and honorable and pure and lovely. And then it says an amazing statement. It says, if you do that, then the God of peace will be with you. That if we will focus on the right things, if we'll stop focusing on the wrong things, stop focusing on the storm, stop focusing on the problems, and lift our eyes, lift our gaze and look heavenward, in essence, and begin to look at all the good things that God is doing, that the God of peace will be with us. And in the terminology of the story, he'll be with us in the boat. And you know, I don't know if you've thought of this or not, but what, we're, what that's really saying is the same thing that praise is saying. Because what's praise really do? It lifts our gaze heavenward. We begin to say the right things. Some of you this week, if you've been saying, well, I want to focus on the right things, little, little secret, you know how you focus on the right things, one of the great ways? You praise. One thing, Suzanne's, I think it was her mom, used to have a little statement on the refrigerator, and I probably said this before, but it said this, and then she gave it to you, I think, and it said, he who sings, praise twice. You start realizing when you praise, when you worship, you're simply putting your thoughts and your prayers um, into words and expressing them. And so Philippians 4 says this, have a proper focus. Focus on things. Dwell, it said dwell on things that are excellent and praiseworthy and honorable and pure and lovely. And that's how we invite them into our boat. So, there's a reason you're going to see why I'm, why I'm reviewing last week to get to today. Because today now, based on that foundation of what we learned last week, we are going to move on or move past this message of encouragement. Because the message of encouragement has to come first. The message of encouragement is the foundation. It's the trust level that God gives us. I will be with you if you call me into your boat. He gives us this very encouraging message that if we, if we call out to him, he'll be with us. So based upon that, that, that we're going from that message of encouragement, we want to now look into the story and say, what else do we learn from this story that goes, that goes on from there? But we're going to do something a little different this week. Instead of turning to the Gospel of Mark, where I watch so many of you turn to, we're going to go a book earlier, and we're going to turn to the book of Matthew. We read the Mark account last week. We're going to read the exact same story written by the book of Matthew, by, by Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew. And there's a reason why we're going to read the account. We read it in Mark last week, and we're going to read the, his accounting of the same story in Matthew today. 
And the reason we're going to do that is Matthew adds some detail that Mark didn't. And I want you to do is, I want you to pay attention. That's why I said, who was here? Give you a little quiz. What are the points? You remember something about last week. I want you now to pay attention and say, what did this story add that that story didn't add? And don't be good, Mark, and read them real quick. See if you can figure it out. It's pretty obvious. Matthew, chapter 14, starting in verse 22. It says, And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Did you notice what he added to this story that wasn't in the last one? What was in this one? Peter. Do you know why it's interesting? Peter Peter saying, step out of the boat. You know what's interesting? Some commentators say the reason that, that Matthew includes it and Mark didn't is that Mark's source for knowing the story was Peter, and that Peter didn't want anybody to know what happened. And so we don't really know if that's true or not, but that's what some scholars believe. But Mark, uh, he adds it. He puts this part that really happened in the story that Mark chose to leave out. Matthew included it in the story. He added this account of Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water for a while and then being rescued by Jesus when he began to sink. And the reason that I wanted us to use this story today to see this extra account. The reason I wanted us to see this today is because I think that Peter serves as a great example to us of the kind of lifestyle that Jesus wants his followers to live. You say, what? Hang on with me today. You're going to find out that it is. I think Peter's example of getting out of the boat is a great example to people like you and people like me of the kind of lifestyle that Jesus expects, that he wants his followers to, 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 to live. You see, I see Peter as a positive example in the story, not a negative, as some people do who kind of want to criticize him because he, he sank. You see, in fact, I believe the reason that the Spirit of God inspired this to be added here, to not be forgotten, even if Peter wanted it forgotten, the reason he inspired for it to be added here is to illustrate for us what Jesus was trying to get his disciples in the boat that night and for us to understand when he spoke to them the first thing he said to them in the water that night. Look at verse 27. Here we have Jesus walking on the water. He saw him. He's on the mountain. They're in distress. He sees them. He comes walking on the water. They are scared. They're scared even though they're in the middle of the center of God's will. They're scared, right? God said go out in the boat, but they're scared. They're screaming out because they think he's a ghost. And Jesus says this, verse 27. 
take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now let's, let's take a step back from the, the message of encouragement that came first. See, based upon the comfort and the confidence that we gain from knowing that Jesus will always be with us in our boat when we call Him, Jesus then calls His followers to lives of courage. He says, take courage. He calls us to lives of trusting Him even when things seem scary. Trust me, it is I. Do not be afraid. He calls His followers to lives of doing things that are bigger than their own ability to do. Things that take us past our fears. He calls us to do things that are God-sized, not man-sized. You see, after telling the twelve to take courage, do not be afraid... He gives them that, then he says, then he says, he calls to Peter then. Peter, step out of the boat and do something way beyond what you could ever personally do and achieve. Peter, walk on the water. Understand something here, church. God has always called his followers to lives of courage. He's always called his followers to lives of doing great things, of of doing life-changing things, to doing things that are scary because they're bigger than we are. And that's why the most common message to Jesus' followers from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, if you look at what the most common greeting or the most common statement that Jesus makes to his followers is, are these words, Do not be afraid. Trust me. He calls us into scary situations. But then when we're there, he says, listen, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. It starts in Genesis, and it goes to Revelation. To Abraham, he said this. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to call you to do something that you can't do. You're an old man. You can't do this. But then he says this to him. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your great reward. It's what God said to Isaac, his son, when he said, you know what? I called your dad to something great and something impossible, and now I'm going to call you to it also. He says, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. It's what God said through Moses when the Israelites were facing certain death from Pharaoh's army. He said this, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. It's a message that God said to the children of Israel when they were to take the promised land. He said, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's what God said to Joshua when he'd become leader after Moses filling shoes that were impossible to fill. How would you like to follow Moses? And lead a bunch of rebellious people that had rebelled for Moses. An impossible job. And the Lord says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's what the Lord said to Jeremiah the prophet. When he and God's people were going into captivity into something they thought they would face certain annihilation. They were leaving the promised land under captivity by an invading army, thinking that there's no hope. And the Lord speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will see you, save you and deliver you from, their, from his hands. It's what God said to Joseph when he was telling him to take Mary as his wife. Even though she was a young um, woman engaged to him and now she says she's pregnant and he's trying to figure out what to do and the Lord speaks to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's what God said to the women, the followers of Jesus, who are looking for the body of Jesus after he was crucified and their lives were crushed and they were decimated and they were in total confusion even though they were thought they were walking in the plan of God but they were in a storm time in their life and the angel says to them, Do not be afraid for I know whom you are looking for, Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. It's what God said to the Apostle Paul when he was feeling afraid in the ministry that God had called him to. And he said, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Are we maybe starting to get the point a little bit? From Genesis to Revelation, the most common thing that God says to His people is do not be afraid. And the reason it's the most common thing that God says to His people is because God calls His followers into situations that are beyond their ability to overcome. He calls us into situations on purpose that are beyond our ability to accomplish. But He does it for a reason. He does it so that He can reveal His greatness to them and He can reveal His greatness through them as He works in the situations. You see, He calls His followers to listen to His voice and follow His leading. And as they do that, then He does the impossible. Friends, that's what He was doing with Peter on that day, in that boat, in the storm. Peter did what we all say we do. And I hope you do this. We all say we do this. We say, you know what, God, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. You know, Lord, I will, I will do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want. We used to sing songs about it, didn't we? I told Suzanne this morning, I said, you know what, there's a, there's a, there's a, a gap in our singing of our, of our modern songs. They never talk about it hardly anymore of us saying, we'll just give up everything and follow you. But historically, for thousands of years, that's been the cry of the church. And we say it. If I was asking you, well, will you go or... Lord wants you to go. Will you do what God wants you to do? Will you be what God wants you to be? And we'll have a resounding, yes, we'll do that. Well, I think that's what Peter was doing on that day. God, what do you want from me? God, if it's you, call me. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Lord Jesus, if that's you, you call me. And so, he does. He says, Peter, come. And I like it. Come, exclamation point. It's a command. Peter, come. Get out of the boat. Come into a situation that is bigger than you are. Come into a situation, one that is beyond your ability to figure out or to accomplish on your own. One that will only work if you depend fully on me and my abilities. Peter, put your trust completely in me. And friends, look what happened. Look what happened when he did that. He invites Peter into the situation. And what's Peter do? He walks on the water. He does the impossible. And you, you know, yes, he needed to be rescued. But he walked on the water. He did something that no other human except for Jesus has ever done. Something infinitely greater than he could ever do on his own. He could not figure out a way for it to work. He listened to Jesus. He obeyed. He said, I'll overcome my fear because you say, do not fear. And he walked on the water. 
Friends, there's something that Jesus wants you and me to understand here today. It's this, as we walk with Jesus, He does call us to do things that are beyond our abilities. And I'm going to tell you this, because I know this from 20 years of pastoring and 30 plus years of being a believer. We don't like that very much. He calls us to do things that are beyond our abilities. He calls us to do things that expand His kingdom. We can't do that through self-effort. He calls us to do things that are bigger than we can pull off on our own through all of our hard work and ingenuity. And what I found is when He calls us to do those things, to get out of the boat, even though we say, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll be what you want me to do, I'll do, go, I'll stand in the front row and I'll worship you. That when He says, okay, get out of the boat, that our natural tendency is to shrink back in fear and say no. That's our natural tendency. We say no when He calls us to do things that are bigger than ourselves. We say things like this, but you don't understand, Lord, it's too big. You don't understand, Lord, it's too costly. You don't understand, Lord, I had a plan for my life. I was going to work this many years and go there and do this and retire here and do these things and I got a plan put in place. The next 50 years are all worked out, God. Going to start this, do that. My kid's going to do this. And he says, I want you to do something that you can't do. And when he asks us that in our natural tendencies, we often shrink back and we say no. We say, you know what? It's just too costly. We say it requires too much from me. Or we say something like this, well, I'm just not gifted enough. Lord, I'm not capable enough. You think God knew that when he called you? You think when God called Peter out of the boat, he knew Peter couldn't walk on water? Do you think he went, oh, I forgot. You don't float. He didn't do that. He knew Peter couldn't do it. So our excuses that say, you know, I'm just not gifted enough, I'm not capable enough, doesn't work. But I think the main thing we really say in these situations, through all those excuses, is this. No, God, I won't because I might fail. No, God, I'm not going to do it because I might fail. You know what? I wish, I wish we had the rest of the story from the boat that night. Because I would be willing to bet you that there were 11 other men sitting in that boat saying, Peter, don't be crazy. Peter, we, we're not convinced he's not a ghost. Peter, I'm not sure you really heard from Jesus. Don't get out of the boat. I think they all said that. You know what? You're going to fail. You're going to drown. You're going to sink. You know what? You can't do that, Peter. It's impossible. I guarantee you there are 11 voices saying, Peter, you're a crazy man. Don't get out of the boat. Friends, what God wants us to understand is that these things he calls us to are beyond us. They are bigger than us. He knows we don't float. He knows we can't do it. They are bigger than we can accomplish. He doesn't want us to try to accomplish them by our own abilities and our own resources. He wants us to simply listen for his call to join him. Listen for the word when he says, Mark, come. And I come. And then get out of the boat and see how he is going to accomplish whatever he calls us to through us. It's not about us. It's about him. We just listen for his voice and obey his calling and then we wait to see how he is going to do it. See, he's trying to get us to understand that we can't. One of the best freeing things you can ever come to in your life is understand you can't do what God calls you to do. You can't. 
but he can. He can do anything, and he does everything. And he does it as we courageously follow him. I want to share what I just think is really true about where we're at right now as a church. I believe that God has some really big things in store for us as individuals. And I think he's got huge things in store for us as a church. Things that are way beyond our ability to calculate and figure out. They're beyond our ability to accomplish on our own efforts and by our own resources. We say, but I only got this much and you're asking for that much. They're way beyond that. And I believe that God to this morning is trying to lay a foundation in our hearts. And he's saying, listen, Portview. He's saying, you know, take courage. Take courage. It is I leading you. Do not be afraid to follow where I ask you to go. For a church, let's never let the fear of failure keep us from doing what Jesus calls us to do. Let's never let the fear of failure keep us paralyzed in our tracks. Because what I've found is that the fear of failure is usually the biggest obstacle to really following Jesus in our lives. We say, yeah, I said I'll go anywhere, but I can't do that. And what if I fail? What if I sink? The fear of failure is the biggest obstacle to really following Jesus that there is. Fearing failure paralyzes people and keeps them from ever following Jesus into anything that is beyond their own ability to achieve or to control. And let me tell you, if you live that lifestyle, that really safe lifestyle, always pretending you don't hear, or always making excuses for what God calls, you know what you get? You get powerless Christianity. You know what you get? You get Christianity that is empty. It's unappealing to the world around you. And you know what you get? You get Christianity that's boring. You know how come our kids grow up and say, Oh, I don't want to go to church. It's boring because we're not taking risks for God. That's the absolute single truth to the whole thing. Because when you're... Last Wednesday, it was great. I don't even know if he's in here. Our Wednesday night class is awesome. It is just awesome as we see God just transforming lives week after week and we got done afterwards yesterday that last Wednesday and Brett's in our class My, he's in kids church serving hmm. <laughs> he's in kids church and uh, I said Brett what did you think and he goes this is incredible he goes look what God's doing in people's lives and he is Brett's not a talker you know he got his mom's genes not his dad's genes you know and, and uh, you know, he's not a talker and I'm saying Brett what do you think he's like this is unbelievable what we're seeing happening Guess what he's concluding? It's not boring serving Jesus. Lives are changed when you take risks for Jesus. Friends, you know what? Just taking, that, taking the easy road, always choosing to say no instead of yes. You know what? It's powerless Christianity. It's ineffective Christianity. And it's boring Christianity. But Jesus wants us to learn to take courage. Do not be afraid when he is leading you into something that is bigger than you because the fact that it is bigger than you is the proof that it's from God because you wouldn't dream it up on your own. And I promise you this, he'll see you through. But you say, um, Pastor Mark, you don't read so well, do you? You didn't read the story real accurately, did you, Pastor Mark? Would you go back and look at it? Peter sank. Peter sank, Pastor Mark. He listened to Jesus, he got on the boat and he, he sank. He failed. I think you're looking at it wrong. No, he didn't. He learned that God would do the impossible through him if he just trusted in Jesus. And he walked on the water for a while. 
He says, but then he began to look at the circumstances. He began to doubt, it says. He lost faith in Jesus. And it says, then he began to sink. He began to sink. There's a difference between sinking and drowning and beginning to sink. You know the difference? <laughs> One, your head's still above the water, you can still breathe. Okay? That's a big difference when you're in the middle of a storm in the middle of a sea. Right? It says, he began to sink. And I like the word. It says, and immediately, Jesus rescued him. He didn't wait five minutes and say, if you just would have listened to me. Tisk, 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 tisk. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Pick him up by the hair out of the water. Spit that water out, buddy. Okay? He didn't do that. It says, immediately, as he began to sink, Jesus rescued him. You know what happened in that circumstance? Peter learned, all things are possible if I keep my eyes on Jesus. I was walking on the water. I was walking on the water when I kept my eyes on Jesus, when I followed his lead. You know what else he learned? The, the lesson that you need to take away today, if you're one person who's generally paralyzed by fear that keeps you from walking after Jesus when he calls you to do something, the lesson that he learned was this, that even if he blew it, even if he messed up in the middle of taking the risk, Jesus was there for him. And Jesus rescued him. You know what? He came back in that boat soaking wet. One of the eleven probably said, You sunk, you fool. And he said, I walked on the water. You've never done that. When he sat around with his grandkids, if you're our grandkids years, years later, somebody's telling a story about, Oh, I worked hard and accomplished this. He goes, ah, Me? Jesus said, Get out of the boat. I did. And I walked on the water. You tell your kids or your grandkids you walked in the water, they say, I want to serve the God who makes me walk on the water. You tell the kids I sat in the boat and, and sat in the boat and rejected it, sat in the boat and was afraid, they're going to go, I don't want what you got. He walked on the water. Church, only God knows what he has in store for you. Peter didn't wake up that morning and say, I think today Jesus is going to send me into a storm He's going to come walking on the water and he's going to ask me to come walking out on the water and I'm going to walk on the sea for a while. I don't believe for one second he had any plan, he had any conception that was going to happen. You have no idea what God has in store for you. But I know this, it's to bless you. But he blesses you by taking risks. He doesn't bless you by being safe. He wants to bless you by showing you who he is. So only God knows what he has in store for you. What big things, what scary things he will lead you into. And only God knows what he has in store for our church. What big things he will lead us into. But I really believe if we'll be courageous, if we'll not be afraid to follow his lead, we won't be like the 11, we'll be like Peter. I believe that today that God is trying to set a foundation in our hearts for calling us to greatness, calling you to greatness. The question is, are we going to be like Peter or are we going to be like the 11? I don't know what the call is going to be. It may be today. God may speak to you and say, you know what? I want you to meet this need. You know what? I want you to start this ministry. You know what? I want you to commit to doing this. You know what? I want you to, to, to reconcile with that person. Things that are beyond you. You've got to say, am I going to be a Peter or am I going to be someone else? Am I going to walk on the water? Am I take the risk? Because even if you start to sink, it says, and he immediately caught him as he began to sink. He will not let you drown. 
He never abandons those who follow him by faith. Because believe me, I have felt in my walk with God that a hundred times in my life probably, I have felt like I've jumped off a cliff when God has called me to do something. That everybody around me said, you're nuts, it's stupid, you're dumb, God couldn't have called you that, God wouldn't put your family through that, God wouldn't make you give up your income, God wouldn't make you give up your health insurance, God wouldn't do that stuff. And I said, but we think God did and we'd jump. And I got to tell you, when that, in that moment when you begin to sink, you still think you're sinking. You are still pretty afraid you're going to drown. <laughs> and you're like, God, this is not fun and this is not fair. Because all the people sitting on the boat, they're looking around saying, life's pretty easy and pretty fun. But when you start walking on the water, you go, it was worth it. I've seen God. I've experienced God. And no one can take that away from you. It's what gives you the energy to say, I want to do the next thing. It's what, it makes, it's what makes it possible to really love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength instead of saying, I go to church. Because all kinds of people go to church. But they don't really have a, a walk where they're just saying, God, what's next? Your joy level is tied to your willingness to say what's next. So when he says, get out of the boat, I'm telling you, friends, get out of the boat. Be like Peter, because I think he's an incredible example for you and me. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?